You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Well, friends, welcome to a new episode of the Rua Space Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Erin. And we are glad to have you here with us today. And today's episode is the second in our series about how to study the Bible. Because, of course, Bible study is a spiritual discipline. And it's one that can bring us closer to God, closer to the Holy Spirit. But like we talked about in the last episode... We all have lenses that we see scripture through, and so that's going to color how we read and interpret. So the second thing that we need to be aware of before we get into more of the technical nitty gritty things. Gematria, numerology, <laughs> context, some really fun I stuff. I mean, basically the stuff that I'm really excited <laughs> about. There's there's another foundational piece, which is that we need to be able to understand not just what colors our understanding of scripture, but what questions we're asking of the Bible, because that can influence what we are able to receive from God through the Holy Word. And Phil, you have a story from your time in Israel that's about just that, right? I do, yeah. You know, we were studying with a rabbi, and we were looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac. And now what's fascinating about the Jewish tradition is they have not just the written Torah, which is what we would call like the Old Testament, but they have the oral Torah, which is another set of documents that was passed down orally and then written down that has sort of the same standard as scripture. Some believe that the oral Torah actually goes all the way back to Moses and was passed down to Joshua and on through. So they have these other texts that are sort of like commentaries, how to live it out. They fill in some of the gaps in scripture to help you understand what was happening at other times. So there's this wealth of tradition and literature out there. And so one day we are studying the story of Isaac and uh, Abraham. One of the most important foundational stories in scripture, in the history of the Jewish people. And we're looking at the fact that the passage says, after this or after these things, Abraham did what God had commanded. And there's a question then of, well, after what things? Because the text doesn't seem to make it absolutely clear what was being talked Mm -hmm. about there. So all these people came up with teachings of what that meant. So we were studying these and some of them would say, well, Abraham did this or Abraham went to that place or Abraham thought about this. And I'm reading this and I'm like, well, which one is true? Like Abraham couldn't have gone to that location and this location. He couldn't have said that to Isaac and then said the very opposite thing to Isaac. Like, which one is it? And the rabbi told me, you're asking the wrong question. I said, no, I'm absolutely asking the right question because I want to figure out what the teaching is, which is the correct one, based upon which one actually happened. Mm. Because that's how we think about history in the modern world, right? Right. I'm a post-enlightenment kid here, you know? I'm taught that there's one objective truth. It's the way things happen. We have to figure that out, and then we know the reality. So I'm talking with some of my other fellow students and asking, you know, well, which one was it? What do you mean asking the wrong question? And they kept telling me, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. And it finally came about through reflection and talking with people and probably some prayer that I was asking the wrong question. See, for them, they weren't saying, which one did Abraham literally do? What they were saying was, each of these stories helps us better understand some aspect of the biblical story, how God was acting, what God was asking them to do, who these people are, 
in a different way. And the teachings were all true, whether or not the event happened exactly as it was being said to have happened. Mm. So they were coming to these stories and saying, we are not approaching them from a 21st century enlightenment scientific perspective to say, let's historically figure out what happened. They're coming to the story to say, what does this story tell us about God? What does this story tell us about ourselves? What does it tell us about our relationship with God and others? How do we live out the command to love God and love others? That is the question that they are asking of the text. It seems to me then one of the one of the things I picked up on is you were expecting the text in the passage you were studying to be historical, to have an accuracy. You were expecting there to be a right and a wrong version of this history. And then that would make the difference for how you learned from the text. And what I'm hearing is that the the purpose of that type of text wasn't an actual history. And so I'm wondering, can you tell people how they know what they're reading? Because I think that colors what questions we bring to the table. If I were reading a history book, I do want to know this is what happened, this is not what happened. In fact, I found it rather jarring today. I was reading about Laura Ingalls Wilder's life, and I've been going through her novels, and I read today that she fictionalized her life. Mm. And so she actually like wrote out massive events that did happen, but she took out major components and like, you know, it was her right as a literary author, but it left me a little bit floored, like, but how do I know what really happened? You know, so there's this expectation we have when we come to something that we're going to get history or we're going to get fiction, you know, we're very, our, our libraries, right, are organized fiction, <laughs> nonfiction. It's very black and white. So how do we approach the Bible then if we can't say it's a history textbook? Yeah. Because that's what I'm hearing you say is that particular passage wasn't about history. It was about God, right? regardless of how the history unfolded, which is mind-blowing to us. <laughs> so there's a lot there, and we'll, we'll have to get to kind of each one of them in order. So first, and we'll, I'll return to the Laura Ingalls Wilder part. Um, the question is, what did the author intend in their mm. writing? So... W- Laura Ingalls Wilder wasn't obviously intending for it all to be exact history. That was our expectation, right. our lens. That was my expectation, right. right. We brought that lens to the text and said, this is what you must be. And Laura Ingalls Wilder is like, well, gee, thanks. That's never what I intended. That's an unfair thing you're placing on me yeah. that I never claimed or intended. Yeah. And so we have to ask the Bible, and we'll get into literary context later, but what type of literature is this? What was it trying to do? And the thing about ancient history in general is people looked at these stories as myth. Now, we have to be very clear when we're using the word myth. Myth doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean it's not true. People in the ancient world told stories orally in order for the listener to better understand who they are. Because these okay. were tribes of people, and they're in the world. They didn't have the internet, right? Many of them didn't have written books. What they had was a spoken story 
an oral tradition that would help them understand who they are. So a myth is something that helps define for somebody who you are, where you belong, what is true. And the story would obviously be rooted in something that happened. But the number one point of the story was to say, I tell this story in order that you become a certain type of person, Mm -hmm. not so that we could, like someone after the 15, 1600s, when the Enlightenment came, everything became scientific, hypothesis could be studied and observed. In the ancient world, those weren't the same questions that they were asking. People didn't say, hey, you know, the Thermopylae, the 300 battle, right? Well, was it literally exactly 300 people? Was it literally on this date? Was it literally? No, they told that story in order to say, we are warriors who stood up to the, you know, person attacking us. It was a story that was rooted in an event, but meant to teach something else. And so in the Bible, there are things that absolutely happened, right? I mean, Paul says, if Jesus didn't really resurrect our faith is for nothing right so there's things in the bible that absolutely happen we can still say abraham was a real person however when we look at it and say everything must be exactly historically as it happened we might be putting something on the text that the author didn't actually intend well and we see that with the creation story exactly. even right when we look at genesis 1 and genesis 2 same book of the bible they're both explaining how creation happened and they explain it totally differently. Right. You can't have Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, except that they help us learn about God and we get different aspects of who God is as our creator. Which here's a perfect example now to step into that passage itself. If you read Genesis 1 and read Genesis 2 and observe the language, observe how things happen. It teaches you who God is and who we are in relation to God, as you were saying. So in Genesis 1, for example, there's these days of creation, right? Well, if you read days 1 and 3, 2 and 4, 3 and 5, so just kind of draw like on a piece of paper. Wait, 1 and 4. 1 and 4, 2 and 5, 3 and 6. I was like, wait a second. Yes, uh, you are right. (laughs) Uh, So lay them out on a piece of paper, 1 through 3 on the left, 4 through 6 on the right, and draw out what happens on each day. You'll see a direct line connection that what happens on days one through three is a potential uh, potentiality that is fulfilled in the later three days. So for example, on day one, God creates the universe, right? And on day four, it's the sun, moon, and stars. God fills that. On day two, he separates the waters above from the waters below. And on day five, he fills them. On day three, land appears. Then on day six, fills the land. So there's this direct connection of God was intentional. God had a plan. Orderly. Orderly. God is speaking everything into existence. And tames the chaos. That was Right. God tames the chaos. God is speaking everything into existence. This is a removed, powerful, omnipotent God, right? Mm. Then you get to Genesis 2, and God says, Adam, you name the animals. And after Adam doesn't find a suitable helper, it says, then God creates Eve. God is walking in the garden. God is forming things with his hands. Breathing this is a, life in. Exactly. God breath. is close. To breathe into someone, you have to be close. So this is an intimate God. So Genesis 1 and 2 is setting the stage of who God is, who we are. The fact that the sun, moon, and stars aren't to be worshipped as deities. They're a part of the creation, that we're a part of the creation. The point of Genesis 1 and 2 is not a scientific textbook. Mm-hmm. The author never intended to say... When you read this 2000 or when you read this 2000 3000 however old you think this book is when you read it that many se- millennium later this is an exact scientific account 
He, they never could have dreamed of that being the case because the per- that wasn't the purpose. God wasn't telling them, here's exactly how it happened. God is saying, I have something much more important for you. And that's why we never have to fear science, for example. Because if science says, hey, the universe is this old or that old, or it was evolution or it was this, or it happened in this way or that way, we never have to worry because it can never contradict that story because the purpose of that story is to show us God is both worthy of all our praise and transcendent and God is also a close intimate mm. lover right right well and i'm i would also argue as far as science goes scientific discoveries in my mind they just continue to reveal the systematic organized methodical process oriented way god has set up the world to work it's every every discovery is revealing another aspect of god and it only just confirms what we see in that creation story it is but also if you want and this is maybe for another episode but if you want to get into the evolution idea Actually, look at the... Now, I'm not saying the author knew what evolution was, but look at the text when it says, let the water bring forth the animals. Let the land bring forth... It, it, ah, he actually is noticing God didn't just set everything up and then continue to uh, puppeteer it. God was like, you go and create more. Well, he you go and adapt and change. Process. Well, that's even, I think, where you see the um, like pie, the race, uh, the the ratio of the golden rectangle, right? Where it's like, if you have a rectangle, the golden rectangle, and you make a square with it, what you're left is a smaller rectangle with the same proportions as the one you started with. And so when you slice a square off of that rectangle, what you're left with is a rectangle of the same proportions as the rectangle before and the rectangle you started with. But what's interesting about that is this golden rectangle, which we've observed through mathematics, we can find it's the order, it's the ratio that tree branches grow around a pine tree and it's the ratio shells and of seashells yeah so it's it's this it's this magical number this random i mean pi is it's based on pi which is this infinite it goes on forever and ever and ever and yet that's for some reason a key part of how god's mathematically set up the world which i think is cool speaking of uh, pie (laughs) one of my friends growing up and if you're listening to this you know who you are uh did not enjoy school very much so he didn't always come across with the best grades and things but he memorized pie to like 100 digits because it was around the ring of the top like the ceiling of the classroom (laughs) so all day he just memorized pie (laughs) out to like 100 digits but anyway yes so there's a sense in which God is the creator of all things, yet God allows things to continue to create and change and grow. That's Genesis 1 and 2, right? But when we come with it or come at it in a way of, well, I want you to be this type of literature, mm. we're expe- we're asking the wrong question of the text. Okay. So you could even go so far to say, take the book of Jonah. Did Jonah literally happen or is it a parable? Well, there's ways to view it from both there there's questions that both sides need to wrestle with whether they believe it literally happened or didn't literally happen but my question would be does it change the purpose of Jonah if it happened or didn't happen whichever mm-hmm. side you fall on we spend countless hours arguing about this type of thing and the author is like you're missing the fact that this is about <laughs> loving our enemies god's forgiveness running in the opposite direction yet god pursuing us and loving us about the reversal of roles where the people who don't know god are acting as if they do and the people who do know god are acting as if they don't i mean the author is like you're spending all this time and the author's like 
that is not what the book is for. Right. And so we have to sort of come to the Bible and say, what are helpful questions to ask? And okay. and I love it because um, now wherever you fall on the Rob Bell spectrum, you know, of course, there's things I agree with him and disagree with him on. But he wrote this really interesting book called uh, What is the Bible? And again, wherever you find yourself on this book, he has some fascinating things at the end. He says some really good questions to ask are, why did God say this? Why did people find it important to tell this story? What was it that moved them to record these words? What was happening in the world at that time? Like mm. questions that get us to say, look, the Bible is a history of people's interactions with God passed down so that we could live in our relationship with God as God intended. So the question is, what was it about this event? Because, right, you even look at the Gospels and they'll say things like, there's other things we could have talked about. Well, why did you choose these ones and not those <laughs> ones? Or even, you know, there, there's all these times where it's like, well, this or prophet. When there's, or when there's accounts in the Gospels that differ, numbers yeah, of angels exactly. attending. And so there's all these things and, and, and we can get bogged down and get into the weeds with it. Or we can say, why did the author tell it in this way? Why was this so important that, I mean, literally, if you're talking about the history of the world and we just have this short, I mean, the Bible seems long, it's short. Right. I mean, I was looking up uh, biographies of Winston Churchill the other day and I couldn't find one less than like 900 pages. Well, the Bible's barely longer than that. That's the record of one man's life. This is the record of God with humanity. So there has been so much that's left out. So anything that's in there, the good question is, yeah, what does this show us about God and ourselves? How does this help us better love God and love others? How does this help us live into who we are meant to be? So it sounds like if you're looking for a practical way to get started with this, because when I hear you talk about asking the right questions, but then I'm also hearing we're not a, it's not a science textbook. It's not a history textbook. Well, there's, there's t it definitely has history, but we just That's have right. to be careful what we're expecting from it. That's right. Okay. So, so I'm wondering what is a, um, what is a good way for people to start? Because it, I'm picturing, I sit down to read my Bible and now I'm aware, okay, now I've got my own lens that I'm bringing. I'm seeing things from my own perspective. So I need to know my story. And now I know, okay, I need to know the Bible story. Like, let's say I turn to the book of Ruth. Well, how do I know the context that this book was written for? And so I can ask those right questions and practice that. Do you have any recommendations? Well, that is what the rest of the series is going to be about, is helping equip us for using commentaries, concordances, looking up history. Okay, guys, and I did not set that up. I was not supposed <laughs> to promote us. No, no. So I was expecting two, a practical answer. No, there is, and there is. So here's okay, the practical. Okay. So one is saying, I mean, do tune in and listen to us. Continue to do the hard work of figuring that out. Okay. But the other part is Jesus sums up everything as love God and love your neighbor. Okay. And so my thing would be the lens that scripture itself gives us is Jesus, who is the word, who is God, who is the fullest expression of who God is and who we are meant to be in God says the entire thing, every passage, every jot and tittle, right? right. All of it is helping us better understand how to love God and how to love others. Okay. And so you also have a passage, for example, like... Second so that almost sounds like 
sorry to interrupt you, but that almost sounds like two good questions. That would be a solid place to start yes. is when you're reading a passage, how does this teach me to love God and how does this teach me to love others? Right. And those two questions, you know, at least you're starting in a solid spot. Right. Okay. And, and that, links, cool. that links to 2 Timothy 3.16, which we all know, right? Which in and of itself we have to talk about. because I don't when know. This, I'm not good at memorizing when this, the when, passages with the scripture. Well, it says all scripture is breathed out by God <laughs> oh, yep, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, <laughs> correction, training, and righteousness, that the man of God, I would say the person of God, may complete, be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, the tricky thing about that is when Timothy wrote this, uh, or sorry, when Paul wrote this, I don't think he knew that this book in and of itself was going to be considered scripture so we sort of right but but we trust that the spirit knew what the spirit was doing when when guiding paul in this way but right there again it's saying it is meant to equip us to be complete in god which is loving god and loving others so always ask yourself how does this help me love god and it may love god and love others it may not be obvious right away you could look at something like the genealogies and say well how does this help me love god and love others well actually Look at the names in the genealogies. Oh, like Jesus's genealogy. Yeah, the it, number of people in there who were kind messed of messed up, up people. Right. I love that Rahab is in the line of yeah. Jesus's lineage. So there are infinite creative ways to understand right. how every passage does. But that, brothers and sisters, is know your story and understand the story of the Bible is meant to help you love God and love others. Grace and peace. <laughs>